The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. When I ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Malachi, Malachi is the last writing Old Testament prophet to the nation of Israel. And if you're not sure where it is, it is that last book that divides the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. So take your Bibles and turn there to Malachi. This morning, I'm beginning a series entitled The Grace of Giving. And there is a grace in giving. There's an absolute grace in giving. And one of the key reasons that we need to look at this act is because I've mentioned earlier that our giving, it always has been an act of worship to God. Uh, Westminster Confession says the chief end of man is to glorify God, to give Him glory. How many of us realize that it is not about us, but it's about Him? Amen? The us, we benefit but it's all about Him for His glory. And so the writer in Scripture tells us that we're to do all to the glory of God. Whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, whatever it is, we desire to give God the rightful glory and honor that is due His name. And one of the ways that we do that, which is taught throughout all of Scripture, is that we, by an act of faith and trusting God, we give of our resources to God for His purposes, for His kingdom. And so I thought it necessary because there are some benefits, if you will, in giving. Now, bear with me. We don't give to get from God, but the Bible tells us very clearly throughout all of Scripture that there is a blessing in giving to God. And so we do it in an act of response. I want to ask you to go ahead and stand with me. I want to read in the third chapter, beginning in verse 6, all the way through verse 15, so we get the context of this particular portion of this short book of the book of Malachi. Malachi begins writing as he says, quoting God, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. And then he calls them. He says, return to me, and as you return to me, I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And he begins to give them an example of the way they've turned from God. He says in verse 8, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? And he says, in your tithes and your offerings or your contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Therefore, verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you a blessing until there is no need for more, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? Uh, 
you have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping your charge or of walking and his mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit, God, would lead us, God, that we would hear your word this morning and we would respond to it in kind. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As I stated earlier, Malachi is the last of the writing prophets to the nation of Israel. And in case you don't know what a prophet was, a prophet was an individual that was raised up, called by God to speak to the nation of Israel on God's behalf. It was not a one that would uh, not only foretell in certain instances what would take place later for the nation of Israel, but it was one who would foretell, thus declares the Lord, the God of hosts. And so today there are prophets as well in this term that the prophet only declares the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. So any time that the word of God is proclaimed in that sense, one is repeating what God has spoken. It's not something that would be outside of his scripture because his word has been completed. And we speak, therefore, the word of God. And so this morning, you may take it in that sense as we are listening to Malachi, and I'm repeating the words of Malachi. There's that prophecy that's coming, the Word of God. Let me emphasize today, there are a lot of those who claim to be prophets, but they are false prophets. The only prophecy given is that which is recorded in the Word of God because it is finished. John warned us in the Revelation that no man add to or take away from these words. If he does, he will be accursed. Amen? So we hold to the Word of God, as Evan so brilliantly explained to us last week. Now, Malachi, in his book, is is calling the nation of Israel to repentance. Remember, God had set apart a nation of his people, and as he records, they've turned away from God many times, and there have been times of refreshing where they've repented and come back to God, and now he's calling on God's people to repent. And there are three primary ways in the book of Malachi that he is convicting or he's speaking against the nation of Israel and is called repentance. These three things are this. Number one, that the priesthood in Israel had become absolutely corrupt. It was a system of corruption, and God had raised up, God had appointed priests to represent the people of God, or to represent God to the people, and, and to be a mediator between the people and God. And they had taken it, and they had absolutely corrupted it for their own purposes, for their own advantages, and they were taking uh, the offerings, and they were, they were presenting blemished offerings to God. It made it a money racket, just as we saw in Jesus' day. And so God is calling the priesthood to repent. And isn't it common that we see that today as well, even in the church? Amen? Be careful who you listen to. If it flashes and glitters, it may not be what God would pronounce as his own. You see, our flesh always wants to take us to that which is kind of glamorous, that which is kind of current, that which is kind of fancy, right? 
But in that, there are many false prophets that are out there. Number two, not only had the priests become corrupt, but the people had become ungodly. Their worship of God had become routine and rote. Does that sound like the church today? Their worship of God, and I'm not just talking about expression and song, but, but their hearts given over to God had just become callous. We might call that carnal today. In the nation, men were putting away their wives for just any reason that they thought, and the priests were condoning it. She burned the toast this morning, so I'm going to put her away. So immorality was rampant throughout the land. Social justice was being ignored in that caring for others, standing up for others who were being oppressed. It had been ignored, and God had given the nation of Israel as a representation to all the other nations to show what righteousness and godliness was. They were going through the motions of righteousness. In other words, they had form without function. And there are some of us today that go about in form without function. We have our list of little things that culture has, our church culture has told us are just the right and proper things to do. Have this much time of devotion every day, check. Attend this many services at your local church during the week, check. Invite a friend on friend day, check. It's a form rather than function. What God calls us to as Christ followers is a day-to-day giving over and surrender to His Lordship in our life. They were guilty of not doing this, the same as many of us were. And the last thing is that tithing, the giving to God was openly neglected. Now, let me give you a warning. As we begin to talk about tithing and giving, there are two sins that we can easily revert into when the topic of tithing is spoken of. Number one, it's the sin of self-righteousness. Because can I tell you that some of us can fall into that same thing that it's just a check on the list. And we can say, well, you know, I, I give every week. Listen, I've met some of the most hell-bent individuals in the church that claim to give every week. I need another. The second sin that we can fall into is self in, self-indulgence where we kind of ignore the whole teaching of Scripture and, and, and we rather than have a heart that we would give to God, the first fruits, we live a life of self-indulgence where we think that God is there and He's our genie. If we rub Him and stroke Him the right way, then He's obligated to give and to bless materially. That's a damnable teaching in the body of Christ. Malachi's message was a message of exposure to expose their sin, a rebuke of them, and to challenge them. 
You see, at the heart of Malachi's message here in this passage, really, is that he lays down a basis of blessing, of God's blessing in his people's life. And this principle applies to all people at all times and all places. You see, in Malachi's day, and in that day, the primary, as you look through the Old Testament, it seems as though the primary way of seeing God's blessing was that God blessed the nation of Israel materially. But it seems as though, to me, in the New Testament, while the tithe has not been a done, done away with, the emphasis is that God wants to bless us spiritually. And can I tell you, I've been in places in my life where I've had plenty, and I've been in places in my life where I had very little, but I wouldn't trade the plenty or the very little for the spiritual blessings of walking with God in fellowship and relationship. You can't buy it. You can't manipulate him into it. There's no greater blessing in life than that. Three things, major things, I want to look at this morning in this passage because there's a condition to this blessing of the windows of heaven being opened, as he says in verse 10. Let me read that again. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. And see, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more. And what we find in Malachi's message is that there are three things that have to take place in order for this blessing to be realized. Number one, there has to be a moral restoration. You see, God is not interested in mining your giving if we are living a life of debauchery or sin and just spitting in God's face. I can remember years ago at a church I planted, there was an individual, and we didn't have two nickels to rub together. As a matter of fact, my support was kind of taken out of the Sunday morning offering. I didn't take it out. Somebody else did. And oftentimes, there was enough to buy groceries, and oftentimes, there wasn't. And I can remember an individual coming to me. He was an attorney, or excuse me, he was he was a, a he was a guy that wrote software uh, to what do they call it? Viruses. One of the leading and wrote software for banks. And the guy had just made money hand over foot. And I'd spent a lot of time with the guy. And but his life didn't bear out what he professed. And I can remember one day him coming to me, and he had a check for the church, and he gave it to me. And as I opened up the check. It was a check for $10,000. Now, $10,000 in that day to a struggling church plant, y'all were there a part of that church, was a lot. And I had the option. Do I receive this? And I say, well, God told the children of Israel to take the spoils of Egypt. The Holy Spirit said, don't support this man's deception of thinking his way is to buy his way to heaven. So I reluctantly, can I be honest with you, <laughs> and lovingly said, I can't receive this because you don't know Christ. And that's the most important thing to me. Now, a couple of the elders at the church, when they realized I had given back that $10,000 check, said, are you a nut? What's wrong with you? You see, God's more concerned about the heart than He is. God's more concerned about us being obedient to Him 
than He is what we might ever give to Him. You see, divine blessing in our lives is always contingent on repentance and obedience. Let me say that again. God's divine blessings in our life are always contingent on our repentance and our obedience. You see, when an individual or person disregards the commands of God, displays an attitude of rebellion and takes advantage of the mercies and the graces of God, the only way back is through repentance and obedience. In this, there is a restoration initiated by our repentance. Look what he says in verse 7 of this chapter. He says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. And what God is calling them to is that word that we call repentance. Repentance is simply a matter of having a change of mind. A change of mind meaning that I have my idea, and a lot of us like to have what I, our idea is what is right and wrong, and then God has His idea. And God, by the Holy Spirit of God, convicts us through the Word of God, and we say, you know what? I need to have a mindset change. I need to have an attitude change towards this and follow in repentance to turn around and not do what I desire to do, but desire, but I do what God desires for me to do. A real repentance. Now, sometimes repentance can come in mourning and weeping and wailing, and sometimes repentance can come in a way of God... I hear the Spirit, and I'm convicted now, and God, from this point on, I am setting out by the Spirit's help to follow you in obedience. Now, let me put a caveat here. I will not apologize for speaking of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives as believers. Jesus said, I must go, because if I don't go to the Father, then who will not come? the Holy Spirit of God. And it's God through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God that brings conviction to our hearts to bring us in a place. So He calls them to have a restoration that's initiated by our repentance. And here in this passage, He says, when we return to Him, then He will return. It's the New Testament way of saying, if we confess our sins to God, then He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So how do we know whether or not we've repented if we bear fruit in keeping with repentance? Does that mean that every now and then, occasionally, we may be weak in the flesh and fall to that sin that we've been tempted in before? No, we will. We can. But there's that heart that says, God, I want to live. I want to worship you in my life. I want to worship you with my whole life. God, I want to be obedient to you. And I, God, help me in the spirit because my flesh is weak. Secondly, there's a restoration sustained by obedience. From the days your father, verse 7, first part, from the days your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. As a result of that, God had shut up blessings, if you will, from heaven because of their disobedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey 
what I command. It's not rocket science, is it? (laughs) If you love me, you'll obey what I command. Now, we have to be careful in this that, again, we don't just get this checklist of things and and think that's it. I'm most convicted now in my life and my attitudes, my motives, my heart, the things I think. None of y'all will ever see them. Are you glad to know that you don't see my sins? But where the conviction comes place is in our heart. Jesus said, it's the heart. And where the heart is, our life will follow. Scripture obedience always brings blessing, and it always, disobedience always brings a curse. Earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, listen to this. Writing, he says, has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as he does in obeying the voice of the Lord? Let me paraphrase what he's saying here. The Lord doesn't have nearly as great a pleasure in our giving as he does in our obedience, in our obedient heart. He follows by saying this, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. You see, true obedience is measured in the motive of our hearts and not by the hand. It's easy. We can have hand actions or works that, that we, in our minds, display grace, but God is the one who sees the heart. Psalm, 30, Psalm 139, where can I go? God, you search me. God, you search the inner depths of my hearts, and, and I don't know about you, but I've daily got to come to God and say, God, search my heart. Because I know although I've been given a new heart in Christ, my heart is still wicked and deceitful above all things, and I can deceive everybody, but mostly I can deceive myself. Amen? Secondly, there's a material restitution. Look what he says in the first part of verse 10. He says, bring the full tithe into where? The storehouse. The principle of giving here in, in this passage is consistent throughout Scripture. You see, when we give to God, God blesses. When we hold, withhold from God, God curses. Now, the lie would tell us today from prosperity preachers is that, that you give to get. That's just not true. Now, is God capable of giving in response? Absolutely. But there's a deception in the body of Christ, and it's mainly through the prosperity teaching and all of that, that that we give in order to get from God, that that's God's sign of showing that we're his people, that that you're going to be affluent and, and live in affluency. I've been all over the world, and I've seen some of the most blessed believers in the world that didn't have a pot to squat on. And unfortunately, those doctrines are permeating all around the world. God can elect to give in response, 
But if we think that God's obligated to give in our response to our giving, then we're sorely mistaken and wrong. He says in verse 9, you're under a curse for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Notice that this sin of robbing God is not an individual, but the, the whole nation. You see, sin is not just personal business, right? We think it is. But sin affects our family, sin affects the body of Christ. You see, the word here in material restitution isn't addressed to givers, but to withholders. See, there's a place of this restitution. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. You may need to understand this. From the time of Hezekiah and the sanctuary was built, there was a storehouse that was built. We see it in the second temple as well. And, and individuals would bring their tithes and their offerings, and, and they were stored there in what was called the storehouse there at the temple. And the main provision for the priest and the order of worship and all of the things took place, and they were supported through this storehouse, the New Testament principle, we be that of the local church where we give tithes and offerings for the mission that God has called us to as a local church body. And notice he says the proportion here is to bring the whole tithe. What is a tithe? A tithe is 10%. And throughout Scripture, it's very clear that the principle is a giving of the first fruits, the first 10%. If somebody has the argument, you know, tithing was done away with the New Testament, well, not actually. If you think about it and you look at, at all of the offerings that the nation of Israel gave, some commentators say it was as much as 40 to 50% of all of their earnings were given in some form or fashion or another. But the starting point, the starting principle is this idea of tithing, giving to God. Somebody says, well, tithing is legalistic. No, tithing came long before the law when we see uh, Abraham giving a tithe to Melchizedek. And so it's not the law, it's the starting place. It's the principle that's given there. You see, it's the proving of our trust. Look what he says here. Give and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Again, I said the principle of kind of giving in, in the Old Testament was more of a physical fulfillment in Israel's day, but in our day, it's intended to be a spiritual blessing. You see, it's wrong, again, to give to think that we're going to get back from God. There have been, personal note here, there have been times when I've been faithful in, in giving, but my heart was far from God. Anybody else with me on that? I just want to make sure I'm not the only sinner in the room. But any act of disobedience in the believer's life will shut off the blessings, spiritual blessings of God in our lives. You see, we can get so good at living the Christian life, again, that we even fool ourselves. And we can go along with the sin, whether it be a sin of withholding or a sin of action that we do, and we think that God's obligated to bless us. No, the thing that God wants most from you and I is our heart. The thing that God wants most from you and I is, is our act of worship to Him, worship of Him, walking with Him. 
The thing we need most right now in this church and in this nation is for God to open the windows of heaven. You see, what he's talking about here, when he says open the windows of heaven, we might put it in these terms that I'll bring revival. How many of us long for revival? Look at the principle here. If you'll turn, if you'll be obedient with a heart that's obedient, then I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't contain it. You see, church is not a rote thing that we do, that we just come to, that's a southern culture thing. And can I say it's almost gone in the southern culture even. I think what God is doing among his people is wiping those old paradigms, wiping all of those old functions of tradition that, that we've said, this is, you know, this is the way you do it. And he's saying, no, those things are good, but what I want is your heart. I want your obedience. I want your life. If anyone wants to follow me, then he must what? Take up his cross daily and follow me. What we need are the windows of heaven opened up, but it starts with repentance and obedience, not only in this area of giving, but in all of our lives. Oh, me or oh, my. Words of my mentor, you're going to be glad, sad, or mad at the end of this message. You see, there's a promise here. God says, put me to the test. It's the only time God says it. He says, put me to the test and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you. This, I see in this such mercy from God. God calls him out in it, and he says, listen, I want to prove my faithfulness to you. Put me to the test and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour down a blessing until there's no need for any more. This phrase, until there's no need for more, it's kind of a difficult phrase to translate from the Hebrew. And I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I called a friend of mine who is. It literally means until there is sufficiency, which means until there is no need for any more. It's this kind of fulfillment that, that faith in that sense is rewarded. God doesn't reward us in this because of the amount that we give. God doesn't reward us in this because we give to a certain cause. God rewards us in this because any act that we do in obedience to God, saying, God, I trust and believe that your way is better than my way. It's faith. Every act of obedience that you and I give is an act of trust. Whatever it might be, 
He says, I rebuke the adversary. I rebuke the devourer. You see, locusts had eaten their crop. Mildew and other elements had destroyed their crops. Physical pests were eating the crops before they were ready to be harvested. They were destructive, representing the enemies of God's people in this passage. But today, I think we can make a correlation that that God will rebuke or devour the adversaries as to Satan's attack on the body of Christ and the church. God says, I'll rebuke your adversaries. I'll I'll, I'll stamp down the enemy. Isaiah 59, 19 says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. You see, when we return to him, I think not only in this area of tithing, but in every other area, that obedience is an automatic response. Our witness will be far more expanded, I think, in this act of obedience. He says this in verse 12. He says, then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Notice he says, Malachi, tell Israel that, that, that when they are given over to me, that, that all the other nations around will call them blessed. Now, again, the lie that is perpetuated is that when, when people see you give, then God blesses back, and they're going to see that Mercedes that you're driving and say, well, you know, God's really blessing them. It's set up in a system that, that the preacher is mo- most blessed of all. We must be blessing him because he needs a new jet so he can charter around and speak at conferences and make more. Amen? Listen, we have our system in Southern Baptist. It doesn't look the same way, but it operates the same way, and God says, I detest that. He says, I'll bless you. What he's speaking of here is that blessing that all the other nations will recognize is that as the body of Christ follows him in repentance and obedience and our lives are given over to him, while we may look weird, while the world may say, that is just, why would you do that? Because the world says, man, go for it all. And we say, no, we're not to go for it all. We're to go for him and his purposes. But they won't be able to dismiss the fact that God blesses and there's something in that 
that the lost world sees in the body of Christ as they're walking with him, following him, being obedient to him, living out that life not only in the building but everywhere that God takes us. The unbeliever takes note because can I tell you that life hits them the same way that it hits us. And when life hits, you need something to answer it more than what you have in your own resources. Church, while there needs to be some repentance, some trust, some faith in our giving, let me put it like this. God delights more in our hearts being rent to Him than our sacrifices that we could ever give to Him. Because you see, with the heart, the life follows. Father, we pray this morning during this closing song, God, as we reflect on Your grace, God, that You would again bless the ones who are faithful in this area, God, of obedience. But God, we pray that for every one of us, God, that, Lord, there'd be some mark. I pray for me, God, that there'd be some marked changes in my life. God, not things I can conjure up in the flesh, and but, God, you want my heart. God, I can see in ways in my life that my heart is not fully surrendered every day to you. God, I want to know you more, Lord. God, work in me, God, by the Holy Spirit to bring a full renewal, revival of surrender to you. God, I pray that every member of this church, God, you would do the same. God, don't let us settle for anything less. God, bother us all week. If you're not trusted Christ, I want to give you an opportunity this morning at the close of the service. and. I'll be down here at the front, and if you have any questions that you'd like to ask, or if you want to make a surrender of your life, if there's an area of repentance, if there's an area of prayer, myself and others will be here. I encourage you to come during this closing song. Lord. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.